it's late on a Saturday night and I thought I would do this podcast. It is late, yes I know. It's just been an unbelievable period these last few weeks. We had another death in the family. Sadly, my other grand died. It means I don't have any grandparents now, which is, is very sad. It all happened very quickly and as you can imagine, the podcast was delayed because of this. Um, it was an immensely painful period for a number of reasons, um, as, as you can imagine. But strangely, one of the saddest elements was saying goodbye to uh, a village called Thorpe Molzer. Um I'd been there many, many times visiting my grandparents and, of course, I realised when I went down that this would possibly be the last time that I was going to visit. And I decided that uh, I needed a distraction while I was down there. Um, I needed to be able to get away uh, and just go off and do something for an hour and then, and then go back and help out with things. So I decided to take a camera with me. I ended up taking the uh, the Bronica, my 6.6 camera, and I took uh, a 35mm, uh, my Nikon F5. So it was rather, I didn't take a digital camera. I didn't have a digital camera uh, with me. Um, I did have my iPhone with me, but I've been having one or two battery problems with it, so it wasn't reliable. So I, I ended up going back and photographing this village that had been part of my life for so many years on film. Looking back, it's quite apt that I actually did it that way. Uh, it was a place where I would go out and take photographs with the first SLR I ever had. My grandfather, uh, my, my granddad, was uh, into uh, photography. Um, he did it for for a lot of years, and then he decided that he wanted to go uh, and shoot video instead. So he he went and got a VHS camcorder. Um, in the days when a VHS camcorder would cost you, you know, fifteen hundred pounds, a lot of money. But anyway, he used that for for many years, and it just seemed right to go back there and photograph it this last time, just using film. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I haven't got the results back yet. I do need to put these films into the lab, but I think they will be quite uh, an interesting and personal look at this place uh, that was packed full of memories. I do honestly believe that photography is uh, a good way of understanding um, situations, uh, problems and things like that. It's it's, it's a contemplative uh, thing a lot of the time. It asks questions, sometimes it gives answers, sometimes it doesn't. But I do think, you know, that if you are a photographer and you are going through uh, something that's quite, you know, emotional, um, I often think a camera is a good way of recording the event, not necessarily of photographing people, but of photographing uh, scenes and things that, that mean something to you. For instance, where my grand lived, there were two eagles. Uh, she lived next... Uh, Near, near to a junction where that would take you down somewhere called Eagle Lane. Well, Eagle Lane had these two eagles mounted uh, over the, the entrance to the uh, local uh, country house. And I don't know, for some reason, I got rather attached to these eagles. It was almost as though they were looking after my grandma. 
um, certainly especially after my granddad uh, died. And I think I've got a rather good um, photograph of both of these eagles one misty day. I just went around photographing in the village. There was a church. They lived opposite the church for a lot of years. Um, it was very, very sad at times, I must admit. Um, I had a walk down Eagle Lane, which was somewhere where I can remember walking as a kid with uh, my family. And I must admit, you know, an old tear, a little old tear came to my eye um, while walking down there. It was, It was quite emotional, especially when you think that the physical connection has been cut um i haven't got any reason to go and visit thought molser anymore that's it uh, the, there's no one there um uh, no relatives or no friends or anything like that that uh, are there that visit so so that's it it's it's quite a permanent thing when you think about it and i did blog about it before Maybe it wasn't quite as sad as I thought it would be. I left in darkness, which probably helped things, but um, it'll be interesting to see the photographs when I get them back. I ended up taking two rolls of medium format and two rolls of um, colour 35mm, so I've really got to get those processed just to see what I've got. Um, I think there's going to be some poignant images in there. Right. One of the other things I've been doing recently is working in audio, which I must admit, doing these podcasts has made it a lot easier for me to arrange uh, audio sessions for for multimedia and things. And this is a classic example. What happened was, was that the local history group were interested in recording some of the older members of the community where I live. And I said, you know, that I'd got the kit to do it, which I had. Um, And it's just a simple thing of getting a few people who have been asked, around about 10 or 12 is quite a good number, and just getting them to talk, just to have a conversation about the the good old days uh there's usually a topic this time it was farming because farming is uh a very important industry uh round where i live there's not as many farmers as there used to be it certainly changed a lot since uh i was a kid here but um it is still an important part of village life for for many people not as many as they used to but still uh, you hear tractors rattling around and doing things and we just wanted to record memories of the 30s the 1940s the 1950s before these people get to uh, an age where you know they might be too frail to do it or or worse even I must admit we have lost a lot of people recently um, and I think this is really started uh, to create the urgency to get these audio conversations done before uh, we we lose any any more people we 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 missed quite a few characters who would have had a lot of really great things to say so it is a matter of time we have got some time but we need to uh, work as quickly as possible hopefully we will end up with a audio archive 
online, possibly even to be downloaded from iTunes, a bit like a podcast. The other real important element, I think, that we will be able to use um, this audio for is um, multimedia, audio slideshows, I think, combining the audio, edited audio, with some archive photos that are to do with whoever the, uh, or whatever the, the, the person is talking about will be a great way of bringing the history of the village to life. And it has got a fascinating history. Next year, I think, will be even more fascinating because it will be about World War Two, and the village was a very, very busy place indeed. The army were here... I believe that the Air Force were here in part. There was ammunition trains stopping at the top of uh, the street where I live. There was ammunition hidden in the woods from uh, German rec reconnaissance and German bombers, of course. There were tanks uh, and trucks stored, I presume, for the D-Day invasions. There was a lot going on in the area, and we want to try and record as many of the uh, the memories and uh, the stories as we possibly can. That's a great thing about audio. You just set it up and you just let people go. And the great thing is, is it seems to have worked. The first pilot that we did a couple of weeks ago worked really, really well. We got an hour's worth of audio footage and a good 45 minutes of that is really, really good quality stuff. So we're going to do more. Right, it's on to the links, but before I do get on to uh, the links that I've, I've found and enjoyed over the past few weeks, I thought I would mention a couple of things. The first thing is, is if you go to the blog, that is my main blog at richardflintphoto.blogspot.com, um, you will come across a video, if you can't actually find it, I've if I've prologued a bit more and uh, it's, it's disappeared off the screen uh, then have a look for Framed um, that's the title of the film it's a beautiful little movie put together um, by uh, I can't remember the, uh, the guy who put it together, he's French but he's done it with an iPhone 4S and an Apple Mac and a copy of Final Cut Pro um, it's brilliantly put together, it's brilliantly shot. You wouldn't actually think it was shot on a on a mobile phone. Who would think that you would shoot a film on a mobile phone? But people do, and the results are, are absolutely excellent. It just goes to show that if you have an idea and you push your gear a bit, you can produce a film that is worth seeing, regardless of what it's shot on. Um... And that really did appeal to me. Anyway, check out Framed on the blog. If you can't find it, if it's buried in a whole lot of uh, posts because you're listening to this uh, podcast late, then uh, just put Framed into the Google search box on the blog and it should come up with the video. That video did actually remind me slightly of something that Bruce Springsteen said at his keynote speech in Austin. He was um, at a big meeting of musicians and things there. And he just so happened to mention that um, 
about creativity. It was a, it was a great speech. I I listened to the audio. I didn't watch the video because the video was rather um, jerky, and quite honestly, the audio at times was a bit uh, hard to listen to. There was a lot of plosives in there. The old peas peas. There was no guards over the uh, microphones. But anyway, it didn't really matter because Bruce's speech was absolutely excellent. It was spot on. But what he was talking about most of the time was his influences and things. But he did mention about how creativity was about doing. It's not about uh, the gear. It's it's not about thinking that getting a new set of top-of-the-range decks is going to make you a better DJ. Uh, there might be a small improvement because of you know technical ability of the decks and things. But at the end of the day, if you are a bad DJ, good decks are not going to improve your game, are they? That's really what Bruce was, was talking about. He was saying that creativity is about doing. It's not about the gear. It's about you. And that's a message that I think is being lost a lot of the time, especially now with cameras being released on a fairly regular basis. Uh, it doesn't seem like five minutes, you know, since uh, the D700 come out. Now we've got the D800 coming out and the D3 was released and then it was a D3S. And, of course, each time... Nikon or Canon or whoever it is saying, you know what, this camera does this and it does that, uh, you know, and it'll do this for you. Well, that's great, but I'd be interested to find out exactly how much uh, or how many of the camera functions photographers actually use. So, for instance, you know, if there are 100 functions on, say, a Nikon D800... Um, how many of those functions does the average photographer use? I wouldn't imagine they'd use all of them. But of course we're starting to see with all of these releases that they're after buyers, they want their product to sell, so they've got to push and push and push. And quite honestly, I think a lot of the time people need to step back and think, well, hey, I know... It improves it this way and it improves it that way, but the jumps are getting smaller uh, with with quality improvements and things. And maybe it's time to sort of like back off and think, hey, it's it's about me. I'm the one creating this. The camera is just helping me to do that, but I can do this with the camera that I've got. Um, I know it's nice going out and getting a new camera, but. With camera releases and camera prices, um, it can end up a bit of an expensive habit. Right. It's links time. I've got the normal uh, amount of links uh, for this month. There's some real crackers in there. But before I start off, I will just mention my Tumblr blog. It's at richflintphoto.tumblr.com. I post things there or reblog things there I should say on a regular basis two or three times a day usually there's quite a lot already on there that's absolutely brilliant um there's been one or two design changes so the pictures are a lot bigger now it's more high definition than it was before in the last few um days has been a couple of absolutely brilliant Larry Burroughs pictures go up there with links to life and other different uh, people who are also on tumblr it is a great place to check out photography by 
known photographers and unknowns as well. So have a look at Tumblr. It's, I think it's really great. I'm, I'm rather enjoying it, I must admit. I've only been on there since, uh, well, since, really since the beginning of the year. Uh, the first post went on there about 31st of December, I think. So, you know, it didn't really start until beginning of this year but i'm glad i did it it's it's a it's a different way of blogging like i said before it's it's sort of a cross between twitter and blogger and wordpress and things but it's it's convenient it's nice and it's got some really good uh people on there it's got some good organizations as well the new york times uh have got uh an archive on there um i can't remember the name of at the moment but i will put the link in the usual place which i don't think you need to be reminded of anyway the links uh can be found in the podcast page of my website at richardflintphoto.com the first of my links concerns something that i've tried to address in my norfolk project and that is coastal erosion we like to think of the coast as a coastline, um, which is a bit deceptive, really, because, of course, there is no line. There's a constant battle uh, between the coast, the, the land and the sea. And near to me, along the east coast of Yorkshire, there's a place called Skipsea. And it's along that area of uh, Yorkshire that... The sea is eroding the land at a absolutely fantastic rate. The best way to actually see it is to use something like Google Earth. If you put Skip Sea Yorkshire into Google Earth, you will come up with uh, the place. And then use the uh, the history function on, uh, on Google Earth. And you'll be able to go back, I think it's to about 2003, something like that. And you can actually physically see the difference between the, the aerial shots. Uh, and you can see how much the land has been eroded away. Anyway, there has been some great photography uh, taken by uh, a very talented photographer called Neil A. White. Now, he actually comes uh, from the area, but he lives down in London. Um, but he's done some fantastic work uh, along by Skipsy. And just in the, uh, the project notes, uh, the project is called Lost Villages, by the way. He just says, the speed of erosion has increased significantly in the past decade thanks to rising sea levels, which is linked, of course, to climate change. Up to 30 villages dating back to Roman times have already been lost to the sea. During World War II, many outposts were built on this 61-kilometre stretch of coastline. What remains of these outposts is now falling into the sea. There are 25 pictures altogether in this uh, fabulous uh, archive, this album, and uh, the images... The first images you you come across, number six of twenty-five, is of the road going along by the by the shore, and it's 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 just in tatters, really, just where the sea has eroded away areas of the the road and things. It's a very sandy sort of uh, cliff, and of course during storms and things, it just ends up being washed away. Like I say, Google Earth shows it uh, shows the progress quite 
quite well but neil's photos are just absolutely superb they just he has a mixture of what i suppose you could say um more documentative images uh and then others are, are quite fine arty i think uh but roads just finish where they used to go on uh, and there's a number of pictures where there's caravans and things right next to us uh, right next to the shore where of course a few years ago there would have been even more caravans in front and another one that's particularly fascinating in a rather strange way is shot number 12 which is just of a fence sticking out over the edge of the cliff but there's still the concreted post bottom uh connected to the connected to the fence just just hanging there in midair it's it's quite a remarkable image absolutely fantastic um way of demonstrating how coastal communities are dealing with the problems that the sea causes it's it affects quite a lot of areas along the the east coast uh around Skipsea is especially affected but there's areas in Norfolk as well I personally have taken pictures of sea defences and things in Sheringham which are great big concrete fortresses virtually I always think they look like the Atlantic Wall something that Rommel would would have built you know to um, protect from the Allied invasions they're, they're absolutely colossal uh, fortifications just dedicated to fighting off the sea unfortunately with Skipsy and places, the government don't believe that there's really an economic argument for trying to save these places, which is rather cruel to the people who live there. But uh, if that's the way that it's seen, then uh, they can't really do very much about it. So that's Neil A. White, a recommended view. The next one is completely different. It's Roller Coasters in Rwanda, Fairy Tales in Turkmenistan, and it's by a photographer called Anawek Stekati. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm probably Stekiti. I think is probably the more accurate way of pronouncing it. Anawek Stekiti. And they've gone around just photographing some of the unusual well sort of rides and things around in some very unusual places um indonesia you know and they they show places that are are quite fascinating and also the people that visit them i mean dollywood there's this place dolly parton's amusement park in eastern tennessee um and it's uh, apparently it represents everything you know american conservatives claim to be god-fearing patriotic hard-working polite and extremely ex hospitable and it you know it's just a fascinating look at how different countries uh have done entertainment in the way of uh, these amusement parks I mean, in, in one case, there's one in Indonesia um, where a ticket costs, you know, almost $20, you know, which is, I would imagine, quite a lot of money for someone in Indonesia. It's an, a fascinating subject, 
not something that you would particularly usually think about documenting, but that's the reason why I liked it. There's quite some nice, uh, there's some very nice portraits in there of of people who go to these places, who are enjoying them and things, and also some great landscape shots of the actual amusement, uh, the, the parks themselves. So. I would have a good check out of that as well because it's a, a rather unusual sort of project I think it's certainly something that I would never think of the next one is an audio slideshow going back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast um, across the two sedans now this is work that was um, done before sedan uh, decided to, to split into two um, and he spent five years travelling. Uh, this is the photographer Tim McCulker. And he spent five years travelling to every state in the United Sudan, then Africa's biggest country. And it's going to uh, become a book, which I think will be most impressive. It's a very ambitious project, but uh, it's just fascinating to, to hear from the photographer himself about... Uh, about the work. That's a great thing about the audio slideshow is you can incorporate all sorts of different things in including the photographer himself and he can talk about how the pictures came about and the project itself. So that's uh, another great um, audio slideshow to go and view. I think that's on the BBC. This next one is from the New York Times Lens photo blog. There's always something on these podcasts from there, just because of the amount of quality photography on that site. Uh, I could probably blog, uh, you know, each week and come up with something uh, from the Lens blog. It's just a fantastic resource for anyone studying photojournalism and things. I just wish I'd had some of this when I was a student. This next one is street photography. Um, Dimitri Melos and Finding the Moments New Yorkers Ignore. I really do love these photos because they've 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 got something um, unusual about them. He's uh, you know he's it's just sort of the way that people interact with their environment, uh, and in some cases how they don't interact with their environment environment i found some of this also um i think dimitri's shots actually do it better uh, i haven't actually tried to show this in any of my work but with an Orford project um i do mention on the featured photography page about how um that project there are a couple of shots to do with uh, crosses marking where people have committed suicide on there. And a lot of the holidaymakers that walk along those cliffs during the summer take absolutely no notice whatsoever of those crosses, uh, the memorials. It's as though they don't exist. And a few years ago, obviously the situation got that bad with people killing themselves um, at, at that holiday resort that uh, because there was cliffs there. Um, you know, just climb over, jump off the cliffs and hey presto, hopefully, you know, you uh, you end up solving all your problems, so to speak. Um, but anyway, th there was such a problem that the, the Samaritans decided uh, that they would have uh, some posters along there and there was posters literally every couple of metres along there. It, it seemed as though they were really, really in your face trying to get the message that there was help available. 
and yet people even managed to seem to ignore them as well. It was just remarkable. Uh, it was as though people had blinkers on. I want to see the the sunshine, the beach, the waves, the people enjoying themselves, but I don't want to see the darker side of this resort. That isn't going to interfere with my holiday. And that was kind of the attitude um, that a lot of people had. And there were a lot of memorials along that place and some of them were big some of them were very intricate as well they were permanent features there don't get me wrong these are not things that are set up that disappear over a amount of time these memorials are here um virtually permanently uh, there's a few of them that have definitely been there over 10 years they are things that gradually start to fade away and then the families come back and uh, they might add something new new cuddly toys new crosses even with a name name plaques things like that but they will they will update them so that the reminder stays permanent it's almost really like a grave to uh, a lot and maybe that's the reason why a lot of people ignore these things dimitri's work does does it in a better because it actually shows that i haven't actually tried to show that with any of my work i've just shown the the memorials and things but uh the pictures that D Dimitri have got, I mean, he's got a great shot on West 34th Street of a guy carrying this great big dog round his, uh, on his shoulders. Uh, I mean, whether the dog had decided that it had enough and I'm not going to walk anymore, I don't, I don't know. But it, And the guy is obviously very self-conscious of the fact that he's carrying this great big dog that should be able to walk. He's looking directly at the camera or, or certainly uh, near to where the photographer is is, is standing. Um, and then there's another great one in Central Park where there's this guy walking along and he looks as though he's got angel's wings. Um, remarkable pictures. Fantastic street photographer. There's some street images that quite honestly leave me a bit cold, but these of Dimitri's really do work. So... Um, that project is, if I can scroll up, because my mouse seems to have packed up. Ah, oh, there we are. Finding the moments New Yorkers ignore. Fantastic street photography. The next one is... Ah, oh, this is another New York Times one. Surprise, surprise. Um, ah, now this is one is a nice one. And this is of the ones that I've mentioned so far. If you can have a look at one, I would certainly have a look at this one. This one is uh, a, tr a hard trek to humility. And this is all about photography um, being seen by people who have never been photographed before. There's an area, a very remote and in inhospitable area of Afghanistan, which... Uh, a couple of uh, photographers, and they're called adventurers as well, so they you know, obviously it's somewhere quite inhospitable that they're going to, um, or difficult to get to, um, decided uh, to go to this area, and they ended up in a, in, a, in a village. And they took portraits with Polaroid cameras of the residents, um, but... It was they. They were fascinated by the way that the the the, the residents, the subjects, uh, the people that they'd taken, uh, found these pictures incredibly valuable because they hadn't been photographed before a lot of the time. In fact, uh, many of them uh, had never seen a photo 
never seen a photograph before. It's an amazing concept, isn't it, that you've never seen a photo before, but anyway, these people hadn't seen a photo before. And really, the, the images that they uh, they show in the, in the gallery just show these these pictures and it's it's quite interesting the way that you know they sort of gather together they they obviously are very proud in some cases of in a lot of cases they're very proud of this picture maybe they feel that they're important because they've had their picture taken it's maybe they think it's something that only important people have i don't know I mean that maybe is maybe a naive way of 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 thinking about it, but it's an absolutely fantastic um, piece of work. Fascinating in that we we take photography so much for granted. We're used to seeing photos. We're used to being photographed, um, and we can't even consider in the twenty first century that there are people out there that have never seen a photo or have never been photographed. Um, and this project. Uh, of the these two French photographers, um, I better give their names while I can remember their uh, names. Oh, it's typical. You can never. Oh, Fabrice Najari and Cédric. Ho- I always pick the difficult ones. Um, Hoen, I think. I probably completely mispronounce that. I always pick the ones with difficult names. But anyway, it's a great piece of work. I will add some more links as well, some more bonus links to the usual place, which of course is darker-skies.com forward slash podcasts. And that's it. That's it for this podcast. It's a bit longer than usual, but I thought I would release a bit of a bumper one. I will hope to get the next podcast out on time next month. Fingers crossed. Um, And until then, well, I will just say thanks for downloading the podcast, thanks for listening, and there will be more links and more photo news and more news about what I'm doing next month. So until then, thanks for listening. For more information on these podcasts, go to richardflintphoto.com forward slash podcasts. And for details about the links mentioned in this podcast, go to darker-skies.com forward slash podcast.